You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Blair Reynolds, welcome to Real Faith Stories. I am really grateful to be able to speak with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me on and looking forward to it. I've heard several of your podcasts and love the content, love what you share and and really en- enjoy your curiosity. You seem to be an incredible uh, drawer out of people's gold and what they offer. Thanks for saying that. And surprise, I have a whole list of questions for you today. Oh, hey, hey, we can handle that. Well, I'm going to read what you wrote regarding some of the questions I asked prior to this conversation, and we'll just launch from there. So you indicated that you were lost in doing something that appeared incredible on the surface, but it left you lonely, unfulfilled, and without a sense of purpose. And then God gently guided you into a profession where you knew you were partnering with him. I love that. And you were able to reveal him through his unique design of you. Could you share what you were doing previously that left you feeling lonely and unfulfilled? Oh, absolutely. First of all, was that did you quote me on that? That's you. That's hilarious. That is really funny. I, I was about to say, that sounds great. He must have paraphrased <laughs> something I said. That's Blair Reynolds. Uh, oh, my goodness. Great stuff. Uh, yeah, I absolutely can. So essentially what happened is I've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years now, probably about 15 and I was in several ventures, and and we had incredible favor. So we would have money, basically like blank checks, to do things that we wanted to do. And and that's of course every entrepreneur's dream is here's some money, go build whatever you want. So I was trying to, I was trying to build really cool empires or castles, but essentially just out of matchsticks, because we were interviewing these great individuals that had done phenomenal things and. Essentially, I was the interviewer for them, and we'd go to these conferences and events and get in front of really powerful, often Christian people, and interview them and then kind of offer that as content to the world. So it sounds like this ideal situation, just wonderful, have money, get to travel. And the funny thing is, it was just very unfulfilling. And it's it's very disappointing when you have a blank check to create the life that you want. And it's still not the life that you want. Wow. So I did that for several years and was constantly frustrated. And I've told people before, I always heard that term. When you're doing what you're not supposed to do, it's like running through mud. When you're doing what you're called to do, it's like water skiing. And that used to frustrate me because I knew I was the guy in mud. I was just totally aware I'm the guy running through mud, but I don't know how to get out of it. And then God very gently nudged me with one of our products. And basically, he said, I'm going to um, let you offer either a life consulting session or a business consulting session as part of the product that we were offering. And one person chose the life consulting session. So I meet with her and I meet for one hour. And just clear as day, I felt the Holy Spirit drop. And I felt my calling and my giftings being drawn to the surface, like a deep and intimate partnership with him times 10 of anything that I'd ever felt before in life. And I was just 100% aware, okay, this is what God has designed me to do, and he wants to partner with me in. And so I pulled up my tent pegs, and within two weeks, had launched a consulting business. Wow, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that experience was so profound in its impact 
you moved that quickly because you knew that you knew this is what you were designed to do. Yes. Yeah. And I was thinking about it before we got on the call, because one of the things that I, I work with my clients on is they won't hear God's voice clearly, right? Or they don't, they're just not able to hear what he's saying about the career or relationship, et cetera. And one of the things I like to ask them, and this was true for me too, is what would you ask God to tell you that you're unwilling or are afraid to have him say? Wow. So, and as soon as you ask that question of like, God, what do you want to tell me that I'm afraid to, to actually hear? And oftentimes it like cuts through the cobwebs and he'll say something. For example, over me, I feel like he was very subtly trying to say, you're a life consultant for years. But I kept thinking, no, my mom's a therapist. I don't want to do that. Oh, my friend's already a life consultant. I don't want to step on his toes. So I would always push it to the side. But I think sometimes the thing that we don't want to hear from God is the thing that he most wants to tell us to get us into the you know our correct direction. Wow. The thing we don't want to hear from God is the thing that oftentimes pushes us in the right direction. I think we're afraid of it, right? Yeah. We're afraid of what he's going to say of, hey, you're going to have me move somewhere. You're going to have me do a job I don't want to do. And so we kind of have this selective hearing with him. Tell me what I want to hear. Tell me gentle nudges, but don't tell me the truth that feels so vulnerable. Because I think that when he reveals who we really are, what we're really called to do, there's this terrifying vulnerability to it because we have to be revealed. We have to take off our masks. We have to take off our shields. And we actually basically stand revealed in front of the world. And if we're accepted for that person, it feels wonderful and it's fulfilling. And if we're rejected, it feels so painful because they're rejecting the real us, not just a mask. Share, if you would, an experience of unmasking one of your clients. Obviously, you don't have to reveal anything specifically, but yeah, I'd love to hear some of those stories. Yeah. Unmasking a client. Okay. So I have one client that we were talking and he was discussing how he just kind of goes along to get along. So in his family, there was a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of drama. So basically he was just everybody's best friend, always putting on a polite face and trying to do whatever the people wanted him to do so that he could stay in connection with them. And so the thing that cut brought it to a head was when we were talking about hamburgers of all things. And he kept saying, well, my wife loves beets on hamburgers. And so the first 10 years of our marriage, I had beets on my hamburgers. And, and it dawned on me 10 years later, I don't like beets. <laughs> I was only doing that because she likes beets and I wanted her to, or to feel connected to me. And it was just this revelation of, oh my gosh, I'm putting on a performance for people to like me. But when I put on a performance, I'm not even giving them the opportunity to, to know the real me. And so we drew him out of that place of when you're faking it, you're essentially not even giving them the opportunity to love you. And as we worked together, we kind of helped him realize that his personality is actually pretty brash. It's very bold. It's very risk-taking. And if he's not embracing that part of himself, he's actually tying both arms behind him, handcuffed, and trying to live life. And so that, that was one example that comes back to mind. Let's take that another step further. What was the ultimate outcome after that recognition of the boldness, the brashness? How did that affect his relationship with his wife and going forward in his life in general? Oh, she loved it after she hated it. And what I mean by that is anybody that's done marriage counseling and you actually walk somebody into health and wholeness and basically empowerment and strength, initially there's a lot of tension. 
And the reason that there's tension is there's been an unwritten rule of the pattern that you're in, right? It's like doing a dance. Yeah. And then one of the dance partners decides not to dance to that same song anymore. Now, it might be a better song they're wanting to go to, and it might be better for everybody. But initially, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? Because she was a very powerful woman in her own right. So she was used to ruling the roost. And so when he started becoming powerful and having a voice and sharing what he really wanted and stuff, initially, she was very off-put and just thinking, wait, where is this coming from? I would say very quickly, within weeks or even just short months, she started falling in love with it thinking, oh my goodness, I finally have a partner in arms. I finally have somebody powerful that I can rely on, somebody stable that I feel safe with, somebody that I can be weak in front of and know that he'll actually stand up. She was she was subconsciously begging him to do this for her entire marriage. Incredible. And so, <laughs> no, isn't, it, isn't it fun? Yeah, and he's trying to please her and come alongside her, but she's begging internally for the real man to come out. That's exactly right. And how many marriages are like that? And unfortunately, how many marriages in Christendom too? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the the meek man, you know, the falsely meek man of, I'll just do anything that you say, yes to everything. And other times it's it's the falsely dominant man, the, the man that's so insecure, he has to completely control his home through religion or anger or rage or whatever. But both of those are artificial. Both of those are just attempts at connection through a dysfunctional pattern that you're used to. You know, once the revelation hits, like it did with this couple, how do they navigate going from point A, where they were, to point B, where they need to go during that space? How do they navigate through that? Really good question. I think that you do it much like you do stepping into a different sport or something that you're learning. So, I think that one of the things that happens is we, we learn what's artificial and what's artificial is actually very temporary. It's temporal. So if you think about who God designed, he, he designed us eternal. And in 500 years, we're not going to have anxiety, confusion, dysfunction, codependence, all those things, right? That confuse who we are and confuse our relationships. And so my goal, what I try to do with people is not to help them become themselves. It's help them uncover themselves. So when you give them these revelations of who they are and who they're not, oftentimes those things become averse to them. So they don't want to do them anymore. They think, oh, man, I can feel when I'm putting on that role. Yeah, I can feel when I'm being fake now. And so essentially it's, it's not what you do. It's, it's giving them permission to surrender to who they are. And ironically, it takes so much more energy to be who you're not. And so it's sort of like if I had a ball and chain around my legs and I've learned how to walk with it and run with it. And then you take off the ball and chain. Well, you don't, you don't tell the person, hey, this is how you walk now. And this is how you run. They, they naturally are going to be significantly better than they were before. And they're going to get used to it over time. So basically, it's just helping them to become themselves. And I think God's design is so much more substantive than anything that we've used to replace it. You know, what springs to mind is a scripture where Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Mm. I like that. It makes me think of what you just said, that it takes way more energy to not be who you're supposed to be than it does to be, right? Correct. And so good. What does that what does that feel like to you as an individual or to those whom you've counseled in terms of that energy level? How do they experience that? Does something spring to mind? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's it's always intriguing to me how much energy people are using. And 
when they start to release those, what I'd call energy drains, they start to get their natural energy back. Because in, in our subconscious minds, we're using 30, 40, 60, 80% of our energy trying to maintain the facade. <laughs> because any, any <laughs> and, and you'll feel it too. When you feel one of those major releases, you'll actually have this huge wellspring of energy back and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was using so much energy just to try to get along instead of just being myself. And, and what, it, what naturally happens, I, I have to jump forward, then I'll jump back. What naturally happens is it often becomes divisive in communities or in families initially. And here's why. Because when people are stepping into they are, they naturally disrupt. And there are people that want to grow with them and be at the same, you know, start growing in the same ways. And those people are drawn to the person that's becoming healthier. The people that are terrified of becoming healthier, they actually get scared, they get nervous. And so ironically, they'll reject you out of your life. What looks like rejection is often them self-rejecting you away from their own personal growth. I could see that. It's a conviction of their own lack of transparency. You nailed it. Because you're essentially drawing them in and not giving them a choice anymore. Somebody that's authentic and present doesn't give you a choice. There's a fork in the road. Be authentic and present with me, or you have to be away from me. Those are the two. Like, look at Jesus. What I love about Jesus was he was the most divisive man that ever lived. When you met Jesus, there was two roads. You would either die for him or you wanted to kill him. That's how divisive Jesus was. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that it's God saying, when I present myself, I'm drawing you to authenticity, to your true nature, to intimacy, to who I am. And the only way to avoid that is to be out of my company because that's what my presence hosts. Wow. And and so to go to go back to the question I think you asked about the energy and how it feels is it's liberating. That's the best way to put it. it it's liberating because going back to the yoke is easy, my burden is light. You start to recognize that the yokes that you have on yourself are not yokes from God and they're not yokes from your authentic personality. They're yokes that have been put on from trauma, abuse, neglect, confusion, community, culture, family, etc. And when you can start to recognize that and say, hey, these are the things that I learned, which were adaptive to the situation I was in, but are not helpful for the situation that I'm currently in, then you can start pulling those things off and realizing that those aren't helpful anymore. Something that comes to mind is in that process of being your authentic self, let's be real here, that doesn't give you a license to be disrespectful and run over people. So how do you deal with that new self so you don't do that? Yeah, that's a great question. A lot of people pendulum swing from being passive to being jerks. And they're doing that because they've felt so overrun and steamrolled and whatever their whole lives. And sometimes they've even done it to themselves that they find this new sense of empowerment by being dominant and bullies and angry. And you're not going to tell me what to do. I don't need anything from you. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But what they have to realize is that's just as fake. It's the other side of the coin of disconnection from self because authentic connection to self does not create coldness. It craves warmth. It creates tenderness and compassion and strength for health. So you know that you're coming back into yourself when you're actually kinder and more generous and more loving and more present and more powerful. And if you say something, let's say that it's more direct, there is this sense of it's from a place of love and care. It's not from a place of cold. So I think that's the big tell is you're not doing this as a, as a knee jerk reaction. You're doing this as an acceptance of your true design and your, your true design is Christ-like, which means it's, tender, warm, loving, and when necessary, bold. Yeah. Let me shift gears here for a moment. 
and dive into this question. Let's talk about people who are, quote, and this is, again, from some of the questions that you answered. So it might sound like Blair Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like this guy. People who have been trying so hard to serve him but feel lost and adrift. Explain what that means, please. Absolutely. I became a Christian when I was just under 21 years old. And one of the illnesses that I found in the church are people that are desperate to please God, but never seem fulfilled or happy or content, or they turn angry or become bitter or religious or whatever the the thing is that kind of occupies that hole. But they genuinely love God. That's the craziest thing about it is they genuinely want to serve God and be connected to him and be his son or daughter, and they want to read scriptures or whatever. And they spend an exorbitant amount of energy trying to. And I think it goes back to the same thing of when you're in performance mode, it doesn't matter how hard you try, you'll never feel fulfilled because you're never being seen. So there are a lot of people trying to reach God, not recognizing that God has to be the one to reach them. Explain that. You can't create value for God. Like you can't perform or produce enough that you became valuable to God. God has to come into your world and say, you're valuable because I say so. So it's the reverse of what we think. We're trying to get to God, which is essentially like us trying to jump across the Grand Canyon, but not recognizing that God getting to us is like him stepping over a crack in the sidewalk. It's nothing. And I think that we're not willing to relinquish control of him pursuing us because we've learned to perform for authority figures or whatever we've been taught to earn our value and earn our place. So true. And when we project the image of our fathers or our families or our pastors onto God, we will recreate the same scenario that we found ourselves in earlier, which oftentimes is not God's nature. And ironically, somebody that's loved by God will do more work than somebody that's working for God. Yes. There's so much freedom and that work is done out of a love instead of a performance mentality. Yeah. Exactly. There is a book that was recommended to me by Andy Wyatt, who was on an episode a few weeks ago, and it's called Ruthless Trust by Brennan Manning. And yeah, his favorite quote, Brennan's quote for trust is accepting God's acceptance. Ooh, that's good. That's kind of been a mantra since I've read the book is, Lord, I accept your acceptance of me because I think many of us wander around with this so-called orphan spirit. We don't feel like we're deserving of God's love, but he's already told us we are. Yes. As his children. Let's talk about that for a minute. I'd love to. Inherent in the idea of us trying to earn God's love is a belief that we don't have it. So if we're trying to earn God's love by very design of what that means, we're assuming that we're not already loved. And so I think that that's the trap that most people find themselves in. Why do we assume that we're not loved? I I think that we, those pathways weren't created at certain parts of our life. And I don't think of that as a death sentence at all. I think that if you look at Jesus and when he walked on in the world, right, there were a lot of people that he encountered that had really difficult upbringings and probably taught them poor relational skills, poor connecting with others, maybe, didn't love themselves and whatever their issues were, but Jesus came into their life and helped to restore them. That's his nature. And so I don't think it's ungodly to say that we had situations that taught us things that were not of God's design or God's ultimate wishes. I think a lot of the times, let's use the orphan spirit. 
the reason that you would adopt something like that as a as a belief system is because that was your experience. So let's say that your dad was neglectful or your dad was angry or passive and he just wasn't emotionally present himself. All of those teach you that God is disconnected from you. So what becomes your role as a child? Your role as a child is to attempt to connect. Now, because it's an illusion that the child can actually connect with the ch- with the adult, it's actually the father that's meant to pursue the child, not the child that's meant to pursue the, the father. But if we adopt that as our mindset, then we'll feel like an orphan and forever we'll be repeating the cycle of trying to earn connection with our father. Wow. And so I think that's one of the reasons that people get so caught in that cycle is is they're trying to take on the role that's actually God's role to do. And we don't even have the capacity to do it. That's so good. We don't have the capacity to do it. That's not our role. Nope. It's not our role. Some of the things that you also mentioned regarding the biggest lessons from your story that you felt I could help others is one of the first lessons you mentioned was to include God consistently. Oh, yes. Yeah, instead of asking him to bless what you're doing or simply check in with him once in a while, include him, partner with him. Explain what that means to you, please. Sure. I will first confess that I'm imperfect in this and obviously an area of growth. But I think that I found over the years, I was I was the typical business person that invited Jesus in uh, in certain points. I, it wasn't like I completely neglected him, but every month or every quarter or or something, I would invite him into the business, or I'd pray for it, or I'd surrender it to him. And it, it became apparent that I was more or less living for the destination with God or the arrival than actually being with him in the process. And very subtly, he was trying to like draw me in or woo me into, hey, I just want to walk with you in this. Yeah, It goes back to the earning thing. It's not like you have to earn this great business and then celebrate it with me. I just want to walk with you day in and day out, hardships and good things. And there's a process to that that I think far less, I use the term religious, but far less religious than it seems, which is just journaling and having him talk to you about it or uh, inviting him into the business on a regular basis and saying, hey, please lead me and having an open hand with it. If at any time you want to breathe on it, you want to take it, you want to redirect it, I'm open. My heart is open to what you're you're telling me in the moment, not just in the quarterly checkup. And because it's very easy for us to silo God. Oh. We can silo him from our families, even from our church, from our personal lives, from our business. And it's just God's in this corner. And I think that's that has to be really heartbreaking for God because that's not what he designed us for. He designed us to be in communion with him. And so when we do silo him and say, hey, well, God's over here but this is my business life and I have to do certain things in my business life. Well, that that's just defeating the entire purpose of why we're Christians in the first place, which is full submission. You say that God longs to be part of our journey. He wants a relationship with us far more than he considers our success, financial blessing, or anything else. Yes. Explain why you say that, Blair. Because I think that God prioritizes relationship and intimacy over success and even abundance. If you thought about it, if you were going to ask a question, and let's say that there's a father and a father has a son and the father can either have intimacy and a wonderful connection with his son, or his son can be a, an Uber millionaire. I think that the father chooses the love and the intimacy, not from a selfish place, but because he knows it's better for the son. And I think that there is a concept that we, we almost look to God like a slot machine 
when he loves to bless, I think he blesses like a father loves to bless on a Christmas morning. <laughs> but more so than a father blessing on a Christmas morning is a father that is there day in and day out. And his very presence and investment and interest in us is what shows us we're valuable. It's not showing up at special surgical moments to give us these presents that are financial or material. I love that statement. It's not that he shows up at surgical moments. And that's so true. He wants it to be all day, every hour, 24 hours a day. Yeah. That leads to this question. In terms of connecting with the Lord and really growing that relationship with Him, what have you found to be, for yourself, one of the most profound ways to grow intimacy with your Heavenly Father? I think two things, and they're, they're related. I love prayer, first of all. And I really enjoy that sense of sitting down and relaxing and creating stillness. And stillness is essentially just like letting the things that are of the world and, and even of your thoughts or even of your thoughts of God just kind of like fade away. So you're basically getting out of striving mode and you're, well, I, I tell my clients it's impossible to hug someone when you're going 100 miles an hour. And it's <laughs> a great picture. And, and <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's very graphic. Yeah. Uh, but but it allows people to go, oh, yeah, I've got to be still in order to be present. And and not like you can't be active when you are present, but you get my point. Yeah. And then the second thing is I really enjoy inviting God to take over my prayer life. And what I mean by that is after I get still, I actually invite him in and say, hey, I surrender to you. I surrender my wife, I surrender my family, I surrender my business, surrender my money, I surrender anything that I am to you, and I invite you to take over. And when I just relax and, and basically have almost like an assumption, like he's going to take over, well, it doesn't always happen, and maybe it's five minutes or maybe it's 40 minutes, but often I'll feel his presence leading me instead of me trying to draw him. And, and it's just a different posture, and I, I just love that. I love the feeling of, oh, I can be completely at peace. And then instead of me trying to figure out the road, he enlightens my path. I love that. In terms of that exercise of discipline in getting quiet before the Lord, it really, I found it's a discipline to be able to just yes. be still. In your experience, how long does it tend now for your brain to stop chattering yeah. so that you can actually start sensing his presence? Ooh, good question. When I first started, I can tell you, it took me about 40 to 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And pretty consistently, it would, it would at least take that long for everything to unwind. I would say now, probably five to 10 minutes. Wow. I don't know if that's long or short for people, because some people are terrified and tormented of even just 10 minutes still. And other people are have no problem with hours sitting and just contemplating and reflecting. I really love the process, though. I think when you get over the initial hurdle of the exposing, it feels because there is such a tender vulnerability to it, because basically you have to allow God to illuminate the thoughts that aren't his. So when you get in front of him and say, oh, I feel like a hypocrite, or I didn't get this done, or oh, I did this, and I wonder if God's upset, there are all these things that we bring to the table in our relationship with God that God is actually superior of, and he's the one that can displace with love and kindness and truth. And so I think there's this even process of humility where you have to start to embrace and accept his view of you instead of your lens on yourself. As you have done this counseling of many people over the years, 
What do you see as one of the top two or three issues, challenges that you tend to invest time in with people to overcome? Before we got on the podcast recording, we were discussing this a little bit. I would say that with romantic relationships, it's it's resentment and it's walls. And the resentment comes from disappointment, disillusionment, pain, etc. And then you build walls towards your significant other. And being able to help people to understand where that's coming from and why people are acting the way that they are. And I'll kind of use that to lead into the second one. I think the second one is recognizing who people are instead of who they're presenting themselves to be. Wow. How do you do that? Well, I'll give you an example. I'll have a roughneck guy come in and he's 50 years old and he's a cowboy and and just self-proclaimed my drink beer and I watch my sports and that's all I care about and I don't care about nothing else, you know, mm-hmm. and scares off most people with that. But I looked at him and I said, I actually don't believe that you're who you're presenting to be. I actually believe that you created that rough exterior because you actually have a giant heart. Wow. That you're really tender, that you're really loving, that you have deep and rich emotions and you were just in so much pain. You had no choice but to be able to protect yourself. But in your heart of hearts, I'll bet you 10 to 1 that you love your family to pieces and would die for them. That you are tender and you are kind and you are compassionate. But there was never a safe place for that to be to be demonstrated. And, of course, he, he's just bawling, you know, uncontrollably bawling. And hilariously, he kept looking up and giving me, like, finger points, like, I see what you're doing. I see what's going on. <laughs> and it, it was almost comedic. But... The point is, that's who he really is. And I think that when you get a lens on of you're looking for who people really are instead of who they're presenting themselves to be, you'll recognize that God designs amazing people. Yeah, He designs wonderful, wonderful people. And that's who you're looking for. And, and the more that you get in the habit of looking for it, the more you see it, even in the most unlikely of places. And then what you're doing is you're basically connecting with the healthy, whole, powerful part of them instead of their dysfunctional presenting part. One of the things that I tell families in crisis or romantic relationships in crisis is how would you treat your partner as if they were really healthy and whole? And they'll say something like, oh, they're they're not healthy and whole. They're too fragile or they're too angry. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just assume that they're healthy and whole. Would you let a friend talk to you like that? Would, Would you be comfortable with that dynamic with a normal friend that you could get out of relationship? And they'd be like, no, no, of course not. Well, I'm like, why don't you just give them the benefit of the doubt and start treating them as if they're healthy and they're powerful and they're present and they're loving. And oftentimes what happens is the person is so used to playing that role, whether it's villain or rebel or peacekeeper or compliant, that being drawn up and actually seen for who they are feels subconsciously amazing. They've been waiting to be seen. Mm. And it's almost a confusion point for them of, oh, I love this, but I'm scared because when I was revealed when I was a child or or whenever I was hurt. So I anticipate pain whenever I'm actually seen. And and that's how we retrain our relationships or recreate our relationships is we start treating people as if they're their whole powerful present selves that God designed instead of the distorted versions that we produce to protect ourselves. Something that springs to mind as you're sharing this is when I was doing coaching for entrepreneurs, I found that When I led with vulnerability as the coach, when I shared something that was vulnerable 
about my life, yes. it just opened the door for so much more dialogue about the truth of what was going on in their lives. Absolutely. Well, I think you're nailing the example is when you create an atmosphere of authenticity, it invites people into it. And people that want to be seen and known and heard, they, they're drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you're doing is kind of cracking open the atmosphere to be real. And I, I'm a big believer in atmospheres. So you can come underneath negative atmospheres. For example, let's say somebody walks in and they just carry rejection or carry cynicism. And then the whole room gets weird feeling. Yeah. And and I actually have to consciously be aware of that and say, nope, that's not the dominant atmosphere here. Dominant atmosphere is God's atmosphere. We're going to have peace and presence and openness. And make a choice. Exactly. You disconnect from it and you make a choice. And then you invite the atmosphere that's godly and revealing in a good way. If there's one final thought you'd like to share with our listeners, what would that be? And then I'd like to ask you to please pray for all of us. Absolutely. I think the final thought that I would leave people with is the world is craving the revelation of your true identity. And the things that we put in place, anxiety, confusion, depression, broken relationships, et cetera, are actually adaptive but they're just outdated. So it's time for you to peel off what is not you and reveal the person that you are. And it might come with some rejection, but it's going to come with far more fulfillment and acceptance and love. So I would just encourage and invite people to step into who they are and allow God to reveal that person because he's, he's more eager than you are to have you be seen and loved. Oh, for sure. Sure. And I'd love to pray. Before you do, how can people get in touch with you and find out more about your coaching services? Sure. Uh, a couple ways. You can go to BlairReynolds.consulting as a website. And the other website is LifeConsultingCourse.com for those that want to learn kind of how to walk in this way and minister to people. So those are probably the, the easiest ways. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's finish up and pray, please. Yeah. Papa, you are amazing. And God, more so than us doing an appeal to you, I I ask that you would reveal yourself to us. I pray that you would reveal your purposes, your design, and your direction for our lives so that we can come into agreement with what you are doing on this earth. And God, a lot of us are trying to get to you still, and, and sometimes unsuccessfully, usually unsuccessfully. So God, we request that you would come to us, that you would bridge that gap, that your son already bridged, that we can re- we can accept, and that you would help us to know who we are so that we can reflect you better in the world. And God, if there's something specifically that you are revealing in people's hearts, that you're tapping in them on the shoulder for right now, or even pointing to in their lives that you have life over or direction or some form of hope or revelation for how it should change, I pray that that would occur that we would accept it and surrender to it and accept more of you in our lives and your presence being revealed through us. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for your design of us because that's miraculous and you deserve credit as the creator in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Blair. It was wonderful having you on the program today. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. You're an excellent storyteller and question asker so it was it was a delight thank you for saying that hey everyone thanks for listening please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories 
Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.